Heaven is something that you descend into. Every culture, at every period of time, throughout history, will look down on all who don't fit into that culture with pride and contempt. But that is not so with the Christian. The Christian has experienced such a grace that he cannot help but be stripped of pride because he has found his great Savior who was glorious in the heavens, who has come down, stripped himself of all of his glory, humbled himself to the, obedi to the obedience to the point of death, and therefore that Christian has said, I got no reason to have any pride in my life at all. Every other culture, if you follow its ways, will make you feel morally superior to others, inferior, and will shame you into obedience. But Christianity is different. This is absolutely the only way, but absolutely everyone is welcome. Christianity has both the highest standard of living and how you ought to live your life, yet offers the most grace when those standards aren't met. The world promises acceptance so long as you can perform and match its standards. And grace is promised only if you obey. And if you don't adopt its ways, you receive the haughty eyes of the proud and the shameful eyes of those who are above you, looking down on you, seeking to melt you into obedience. Today, what we're going to see is that there is a home you are created for, a joy that you are made for, a peace that you are meant to venture into. And the way there is through the scornful eyes of the crowd, and you must pass through them in order to get to everything you are made for. And what you have to see is that each and every single one of us, we have adopted to some degree the ways of the world. And if you don't think it's true, you're in greater danger because the ways of the world will lure you in without you realizing it's happening and will capture you. And you will think you're on the right road, only you're stuck and you have no idea of it. We're in our series, In the Psalms, called Playlist, The Road Home. In the, the collection of psalms that we are looking at, Psalm 120 to 134, is called the Songs of Ascents. Now, this word ascents is the technical term for a pilgrimage. So here's what happened. Up to three times a year, the Israelites would take this spiritual pilgrimage up to Jerusalem, which is called the City of Peace, then up to Mount Zion which is the, the Mount of God and the Mount of Joy. And there they would worship God. And these psalm, songs of ascents are given to them as songs to sing on the road to help them give the, to, to get the strength that they need to go along the road, to pass through whatever's before them. Now, here's what we've seen so far. This collection of psalms has helped us say, we're going to seek the peace Wherever we are, the flourishing of the people, wherever we are, no matter how much they bring war down upon our heads. That was Psalm 120. 
And it was a psalm about a man who was courageous and brave and did pretty much what no one in this world is willing to do. And then we saw how the way to your great joy is through your greatest fear. And if you don't face your greatest fear, you will never get to the joy that you were made for. But today, we see the greatest temptation that you will face on the road towards joy, the road towards peace, the road towards home. And on that road, you encounter the crowd. And the crowd will lure you in and steal you from everything you are made for. That's what we're looking at today. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump in. Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would sit underneath it, that we would not look above, from above down upon it as if to judge your word, but we would let your word search us, seek us out, know us, and know our ways, and lead us in the way everlasting. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 123. Here it is. A song of ascents. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy on us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. All right, so remember, Mount Zion, the mountain of God, represents the mount of joy, the joy you are made for. Jerusalem literally means the city of peace. So to arrive in Jerusalem and to arrive at the top of the mountain is to arrive at your great joy and your great peace in Christ, everything as it's meant to be and ought to be. Only to get there, you have to pass through the crowd of this world. So I want you to imagine three young men, three friends, and they've been talking, and they have come to the realization that life in this world is not the way it's supposed to be. There is something wrong. We shouldn't be suffering the way that we are. We shouldn't be in pain the way we are. We shouldn't be unloved the way we are unloved. Something is wrong, and so they set out to find the lost city of God. And on their way, they face their greatest fears. On their way, they're learning how to seek the peace of those around them, even when those are at war upon them. They're seeking their peace. But then they come to the valley. And in the valley, there are hills and mountain ranges. And they come to a crowd that's piled up on either side of this mountain range surrounding them. And as they're beginning to pass through the crowd, they start to feel the scornful eyes of the proud come down upon them. And it's beginning, they're feeling the lure to go into the crowd. And the reason they're feeling the, feeling the lure is because the crowd is looking down upon them and they're mocking them. And they're saying, do you really think that the mountain of joy is going to be delivered to you? Do you really think there's a city of God? Do you really think you're going to find the peace you're searching for? And they're feeling it. They're tempted to stop, and then one of the young men stops and starts arguing. Starts defending himself because he's feeling disrespected. He's feeling shamed, and he hates it. He doesn't want it to happen anymore, so he starts fighting the people who are shaming them with his words. Not to convince them, to, but to defend himself. And the other two are saying, come on, let's go. Let's just keep going. He says, no, i got to convince them. And so 
he's left behind. Now there are two. And they make their way on the journey. A few days later, they come to another crowd. And this crowd starts yelling down at them, don't you know you're not going to be free in that city? People who find God serve him. They worship him. They praise him. You're going to become a slave to God. What are you doing? Stay here with us. We know what real freedom is. So one of the young men starts arguing and saying, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm a person who wants freedom. I want freedom. And they say, well, stay. And they say, no, no, there's freedom there. And so he starts arguing. And now there's just one. And the one finally arrives at the city of God, the gates of Jerusalem. He goes in. He goes up to the top of Mount Zion, and he has this amazing experience with God, and his spiritual pilgrimage was a success. And on his way back home, he passes the mountains and the hills, and he sees his friends, only they're further up into the crowd. And he gets back home, and a few months go by, and he starts another spiritual pilgrimage, and he sets out. He faces new fears, new trials, new struggles, and then he comes to the crowd again. And he sees his friends, and they're even further up the mountain, but they, see, they look down and they see him. And they hear as his friend is being mocked, but they feel kind of bad for him. So they come down the mountain and they come and meet with him and they hug and they embrace. They're like, oh, we've missed you. And he says, I met with God. This is a real thing. Come on. And they say, no, we still, we, like, we got we to gotta defend ourselves. We got to stay. So he goes. This happens. Then after a few years, this young man has a family. And so he takes his family out on a spiritual pilgrimage. And he looks up the mountain and he sees his friends. And his friends now have a family, only they don't come down the mountain to greet him. He hears their voices ring out above the rest, and he knows it's them. They're mocking him. They're ridiculing him. They have scornful eyes towards him, and they have fallen in with the prideful. What has happened to these two? Well, their their pride actually got the better of them. It stopped them from reaching the celestial city of God. Because they had to defend themselves. They had to prove to the world that they were worthy. That they held some value in dignity and worth. And so they fought the world to convince the world. They were shamed, misunderstood, and disrespected. And it tripped them up. And it made them stumble and it got them stuck on the road. The world will make prideful demands of you to fit into it. And you will be tempted to argue back. And as you argue back, you're going to be made to feel morally inferior to them. And you're going to hate it. You're going to be shamed. And you're going to absolutely hate the way it makes you feel. And you're going to want to defend yourself to the world. Until the shame goes away. Only what you're going to find is that you slowly give in to the ways of the world... And you find yourself up in the crowd, shouting down, mocking terms to all those around you. Not realizing what you become. There's a real desire in every single one of us to be elevated. To be loved. To be treasured. To seen as something that somebody wants so badly to feel what real love feels like. In the words of Michael Scott, when asked... Would you rather be loved or feared? He said, I would rather people be afraid of how much they love me. And there's, you laugh, but there's something in it that's very true for you. After all, you deserve it, don't you? You've been working really hard. 
You've had a hard life. People need to understand that. They need to see that about you. Like, you got to demand it, right? What are you doing when you do that? You're building a little throne, actually. You're building up a tower with a throne there with you, just want a little tiny kingdom. As long as everybody in that kingdom knows that you are the king or the queen. You're loved and treasured. A prized possession. And it's your pride that's doing that to you. The road to heaven is a road to descent. The road to hell is a dis- an ascent of the self that plummets you into the abyss. But the road to heaven is a stripping off of your pride. And there, lo, you find a God who lifts you up. You've got to pass through the temptation of the crowd. And everything in you is going to want to refuse to keep going down that road. And you're going to want to stop. And you're going to want to defend yourself. And you want to prove to the world that you are worthy of something. So you'll fight it until you become it. And you're building up a throne there, up in the hills with the crowd. And the problem is, when you build a throne and you become a king or a queen among the crowd of prideful people, they're always trying to steal your crown from you and steal your throne from you. And what you're going to find yourself doing is having these little hints that you're giving to people about how great you are, how wonderful you are, because you're really just desperate to be loved and you're desperate to be seen as worthy and of value. Only the problem is everybody else is prideful, and they're looking down upon you. They don't see the greatness about you. They see how you're lesser than them. They're blinded to what is good about you. And the problem is you're becoming blinded to what is good about them. And so you're living in a world full of darkness. So now you're finding yourselves having to scream about how great you are to people as they attack you, as they tell you you're wrong about something, as they tell you that you're not worth something. And what you've got to do is come out of the darkness into the light on the road that brings you to the great light of joy and peace in Christ. So how do you get the strength to pass through the crowd? You have to look above the crowd, beyond the crowd, up to the greater mountain, Mount Zion, where the throne of God is. And there you find the God who stripped himself of glory to make you into something. And if you get distracted, if you lose your focus of him, there's so much pride in you that when you look over at the crowd, they will suck you in because you have a massive amount of pride about you. And if you don't realize it, you're in greater danger. So you get laser focused and you say, I know what's going to happen to me if I look at the crowd. So I got to keep my eyes on him, the one who humbled himself, because if I don't, I'm going to get sucked in. You become kind of scared of what you're going to become. Because you know what's in you. The world is like a basilisk. A basilisk is this mythological serpent king that if you look at it, you die. And that's what the world is like. The scornful gaze, if you focus upon it, if you take your eyes off of Christ and you focus up on the scornful gaze, immediately you become destroyed. Because there's too much pride in you and you get sucked up into it. That's why the Bible says, guard yourself from the world. You can't handle it. You've got to keep your eyes fixed on him. The only, only remedy is him. Keep your eyes on him. The only one who's worthy to sit on the true throne of heaven. So gazing upon him gives you life. Gazing upon the prideful scorns of this world will give you death. 
And temptation is all around you. Your family and your friends, they will shame you into the obedience of this world. Your workplace has values and behaviors that they are wanting to adopt, whether known or unknown, and they want you to adopt them all. Your political party will puff you up with pride. Or if the other political party is looking at you, they will try to shame you into obedience. The church is guilty of this. The church will try to shame you into obedience. I'm not saying this is a good thing, this is a bad thing. When the church has lost its way, what you're going to find is there's going to be a behavior modification that the church is going to want from you. Not long-lasting, deep, inside-out growth that takes a long time, but quick growth. Because the church wants to feel good about itself. Because the church is trying to build up a little kingdom when the church is falling off its way. Or what will happen is the church will say, modify your behavior into this and you'll become that, and then you're going to find yourself puffed up with some arrogance because you're one of the ones who's able to do it. Watch yourself always. Creeping around every single corner is the basilisk of this world ready to look you in the eyes and steal you away from your king. The unfolding of God's word gives light. You are in this dark world, and what you need is his word. To give you light. Now, God's word is so closely associated with God that when you open up God's word, you, it's as if you are looking at God himself. Jesus is called the word made flesh. So you open up your Bible. What you're doing when you open up your Bible is you're gazing upon the king of heaven. You're opening him up and you're getting a, peering into his throne room. And you see him, and you don't take your eyes off of him. And you got to understand, even your pride is so bad that when you open up the Bible, still, you get off track, and you look up. You're looking here, you're looking here in the Bible, and you're like, oh, his throne, his throne. And then you do this. Oh, the world. And it's like you've looked at the basilisk, and you're dead. Because you took your eyes off of him and got lured in. The unfolding of his word gives light. And the Bible has a way of smashing your pride into non-existence. Because there you meet the God who humbles you. When you look in the Bible, you see the only worthy king, the creator of the cosmos, the creator of you, the one who's knit you together, the one who knew you in your mother's womb, the one who's holding you together right now. You meet him, and then you see what he did. He stripped himself of all of his glory. He came into the world, and he died on a cross. And if he did that, what in the world do you have to be prideful about? The way up is to descend. Humble yourself and he'll lift you up. If you seek to elevate yourself, you will be thrown down. As soon as you bring yourself low, underneath God's word, I mean, you come under it, you submit to it, you let it own you. Here's what you then find. Because now you've got the eyes to see it. Because the only one who sees the Bible as it's meant to be seen is the humble person. So he sees it humbly. And on the first pages in the Bible, do you know what you hear? You are made in the image of God. There's no greater compliment that you could be given. During that time when that was written, the kings of the earth were seen to be the ones who were made in the image of God, them and them alone. And then the Bible comes on the scene and says, no. Every person, all of humanity is made with dignity, worth, value, such value that they are like kings and queens over all the earth. 
But you will not ever discover that until you are given the eyes to see of someone who's coming underneath him, under him, to look up above him upon his throne. If you do that, no matter how loud the shouts of the world are, you will not be distracted because you have found something glorious enough to keep your attention. Look at him. And look at him like a servant would look at his master. Because if you look at him in another way, there's another way to look at God, and we're all doing it. We're looking at God to give us something. We're using him for something. In fact, we've got our little throne that we're building up. And we go and we pray these prayers to God and we're asking him to give us things, but the things we're asking him to give us are things that will help our own thrones. And we're wondering why he's not answering our prayers. He's not answering it because it's for your own good that he doesn't give you an answer. But if you, if you look at him like someone who you are underneath, well, he lifts you up to the heavens and the heights. The world says, ascend to us, and by doing that, you're thrown into the pit of hell. And God says, stay there. Keep watching me, but stay on the low road, and I'll come down and meet you there. I'll come down off the mountain like a shepherd would chase after his sheep. Some of you have not met God yet. And the reason you haven't met him is because you're looking for him in royal places. That is not where you find him. You find him down in the dirt. You find him in your pain, in your suffering, in your loss, and in your heartbreak, because that's where he meets you. Yes, he's the God of the God on the throne, but he always comes down. He humbles himself, becomes obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, so surely he can meet you out on the lowly road. And some of you, you're trying to climb up the mountain to meet him, but you're making this great error because as soon as you do that, you're relying on how good you are. But the only way to rely on how good you are is to climb up the culture of this world. And so you look good compared to other people because you've climbed up the road, only the problem is he's down at the bottom because he will have none of your pride. And until you are stripped of it, he will not show himself to you because you don't have the eyes to see him that way. You will reject him if there's an ounce of pride in you. And so he humbles you to the dirt so he could lift you up to glory. And then it talks about his mercy. We're pleading for mercy here. Now, when it says you've had more than enough, this literally is saying like the scorning, mocking words are being stuffed down your throat. And you've had enough of it, and you're pleading to God for mercy. Now, this word mercy here, it doesn't mean to be delivered from sin It means to be delivered from the situation that you are in. Only look at what God does. He doesn't deliver this person from their situation. He leaves them in their situation. Do you know why? Because he wants to give them the strength to pass through the crowd. What you want is God to deliver you as in take you out. But he wants to deliver you by transforming you and giving you strength to pass through it. So it's a prayer for mercy. And you got to get used to it. you got to get used to your prayers being answered, not with plucking you up out of something, but by giving you the strength to pass through it. He's the God of grace, but he's also the God of strength, and he wants to show you that. And so when you ask God for mercy, he will give you that strength. And it's the same strength that he had out on the road that he took. Jesus is God in the flesh, and he came into the world. 
And as he carried his cross, he was mocked, ridiculed, felt the scornful eyes of the haughty, prideful people. I mean, think about this. The God who has made them has lowered himself, come into the world, and they're mocking him. And they hate him, and they just want his crown. But he carries the cross anyways. And he carries it all the way into the miry bog of death and hell. And he descends all the way into it to come and pull us up out of it. He enters into the crowd that had hold of you, that had you prisoner. And he came and is killed by the crowd so that you could be set free. And then in the resurrection, he rises up and he gives you the strength that pushed him to you and drove him up through the miry bog of death, out of hell, back seated at the right hand of God in the heavens. That's the strength you have in him. So keep your eyes fixed on him and he will give you what's needed to pass through the crowd. You will no longer need to defend yourself when you're misrepresented, when you're misunderstood, when you're seen as unworthy, unvalued, and unloved, it doesn't matter anymore because he says something different about you. His life says something different about you. The cross says something different about you. The resurrection says something different about you. And the Bible says something different about you. So listen to those words, not the words of the world. Pass through the crowd and experience everything you long for, the joy that you were made for. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would give us life in you. That whatever we hear from the world about us, from our so-called friends or our so-called family that just is jealous or angry or wants to crush us down into the dirt. God, I pray that your voice would ring louder and that your throne would look more beautiful and we would keep following you and we'd meet you there on the road in the lowly places so that you might lift us up to the heavens in the glory into paradise, into the celestial city that we're made for. Help us on the road, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.